0: You are listening to the SHL Talent Talks Podcast, featuring conversations with experts on talent topics that help organizations win in today's dynamic business environment. Hello, welcome to Talent Talks. I'm Ken Lottie, the Chief Science and Innovation Officer at SHL, and I'm very excited to be joined today by Ben Hawks. Ben, would you say hello? Hi. <laughs> uh we're gonna hear a lot more about why Ben's here in just a second. So uh what we want to talk about today is uh talent assessment. Um Ben, it seems like in the marketplace assessment is uh, as it periodically does, having a bit of a moment. Um there was some uh an article a couple months ago uh by Deloitte. Uh there's certainly a lot of uh action and interest even in this uh bum uh, frozen economy in using talent assessment. Um, it's something that you and I have spent a lot of, uh, a good portion of our careers on. And so I think what we want to talk about here is like, what's, what's exciting and new uh, and what might be on the horizon um, that could make assessment even greater. Um, so that's the idea, but tell me a little bit then about, you know, why you're into assessment.
1: Yeah, well, let me do a quick introduction to myself. So I, I wear two hats. My, uh, my day job is I'm selection assessment lead for Shell International. And that means I look after our selection assessments for our graduate or campus, our experienced hire and our senior exec hiring. Now, one thing my colleagues have told me to make sure I make clear is that anything I say is purely my own views and do not represent those of uh, the Of shell. Um, My other hat that I wear is uh, I'm also co-founder and chief product officer of uh, Blackhawk Behaviour Science and at Blackhawk we work with entrepreneurs to assess their strengths and weaknesses and support them in applying insights to enhance their own but also their team performance within their startups and we also work with VCs and other investors to assess leaders of their current and prospective portfolio companies, and using that to mitigate the investment risk, uh, address potential conflict within the startup, and ultimately to reach, to, to maximize um, the performance of the startup. So I'm really interested in talking to you today about you know, what are the, the big plays that we're seeing within uh, assessment, the, the trends, uh, and where we're seeing um, investment going for, for good and for bad, I think we're there. it'd be good to, to address. So I've been in the field of assessment for oh, longer than I care to think, probably 20 years or so. And in that time, just like you can, I've seen um, a a lot of assessment change. So the movement towards mobile assessment, online assessment, unproctored assessment over the last 20 years. Um, But we've seen a lot of the stuff stay the same. Multiple choice questionnaires, cognitive or intelligence measures, personality assessments, a lot hasn't changed. And there's actually a good there's good reasons why a lot of that hasn't changed. Maybe we'll explore that uh, as we go along. So, yeah, that's that's why I'm really interested in the topic, and I appreciate you inviting me to come and talk.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be good, uh, and I definitely want to talk about what are some of those pressures for um, to maintain the status quo. So just to recap, you're at a big company with a big role on top of these assessment products that potentially are pretty big programs affecting thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of applicants and employees, yep. Um, yep. and you've advised or advise uh, institutional investors. I just want to point out that's a, a commonality that we have uh, during a, a few years while I was running my startup. I was also doing a lot of advising of institutional investors on this space and specifically talking about this topic, kind of emerging technology, uh, what's, what's broken in assessment, what needs fixing, uh, what's on the horizon. So, uh, I too am super excited about kind of thinking about where the industry is headed and and what are the things that are you know maybe slowing us down from making faster progress so cool very exciting uh, well I guess let's start off with the with the basics um, it seems like uh, with its 100 year track record assessment works pretty well uh, and as I said you're at a at a big company that uses the assessment Um so it seems like things are working pretty well, right, Ben? What, what, what more do we need? Uh, I, you know, <laughs> where are the pain points here? Like what, is, what does assessment do well or where do you think the opportunities are?
1: Yeah, you're right. In, in many ways, it does work well. Uh, in, and that's why we continue to use it. We find that assessments are, uh, well, good assessments are are fair, They predict job performance, they give the candidate a a decent experience, and especially when you're looking to assess at scale, which is what many, many organizations are having to do when they have uh, tens or hundreds of thousands or even millions of of candidates, They, they work very efficiently, but can they be better at predicting whether this person is going to Uh, excel in the job yes they absolutely can Uh, can they give a better candidate experience yes can they give a better uh, insight into what it's like to work here what it's like to do this job then yeah absolutely and can they be from a candidate point of view shorter uh, more pleasant or maybe less unpleasant to take uh, more accessible Um, can they be used to uh, enhance diversity within an organization. Yes, there's there's so much more that we want to improve. Uh, We're never satisfied with with the quality of assessments that we're using, there's always scope for for improvement. And to that end, we're always looking at, well, what are the emerging technologies we can use to uh, enhance that candidate experience or the quality of the assessment? And over the past couple of decades, we've seen, as I mentioned earlier, a lot more unproctored assessment. And I remember not so long ago, uh, for many employers, the idea of having a candidate take an assessment online, not in front of an actual assessor in person in an office, was was terrifying. This fear about yes, all this fear about. All oh, candidates will cheat. Uh, how can we how can we allow that? And of course, there's there's so many practical benefits for the employer and for the candidate to take assessments remotely. Then of course we've we've accommodated that and we've come up with ways to make sure that yes, the assessments do still work remotely. You don't have to stand over a candidate for them to take it. Similarly, uh, and I know this is a more recent debate that's been going on a lot. Within uh, our field of organizational psychology, is um, can we give people assessments on mobile devices? And I remember uh, when, way back when, we were seeing 1% or maybe less. Uh, of candidates were trying to take assessments on mobile devices, the general feeling was that, well, we can't let them take them on mobile devices because uh, they won't do as well, we can't compare the scores, it won't be an equivalent experience to taking an assessment on a PC, perhaps we should stop candidates doing it. Well, no one told the candidates that. So as candidates more and more so were trying to do job applications, Uh, assessments on mobile devices just like any of us would try to do there was a recognition that oh actually we need to build better assessments that uh, are going to work on mobile devices that are going to give an equivalent measure we need to understand how assessments work on different devices and that's been a that's been a, a Big steep learning curve for the the field of assessment, and um, you know, many of our mutual friends can, and ourselves too. We've been involved in research to establish you know, is a mobile assessment a, a fair assessment for someone to take, and yes, absolutely, it can be. So those are, I mean, those are some of the trends that we've that we've seen, the technologies, and then. Uh, within the last couple of years we 've seen a lot of hype around game based assessment uh, about the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning and those are certainly some really useful tools that we need to get a handle of. but you know like every other type of of technology there's there's better uses and let's say less good uses and applications of that.
0: It seems like we, um, so if we're still talking about mobile as a rel- mobile first design or redesign as yep. a relatively recent phenomenon within the science and practice of talent assessment, I mean, we're we're, we're 12 and 13 years through yes. the iPhone <laughs> at this point. Um, I, I think this kind of gets back to what you said at the front, which is there there must be something slowing us down, right? Because there's a lot of smart people working yep. on yep making these things predict better, making them more fair, making them shorter, making them uh, richer and provide a better experience. So why, why is innovation so hard in this space with all of
1: these smart people? Yeah, because assessment has to be founded on consistency. And the most consistent way of doing it would be to make sure every candidate takes the assessment in exactly the same environment, in the same way, same questions, same time of day. But of course, as you start to introduce the ability for candidates to take assessments away from uh, um, a regulated environment or take them on their their mobile assessments, then then we as measurement experts get, get nervous because every time you introduce a variable like a different screen size or different environment or even different background noise, you might be impacting someone's performance on the on the assessment so we want to make sure that we're providing a consistent experience to be as fair as possible to to everyone and as we start to create more um, create more assessments that make use of um, fun aspects of of technology it gets more and more difficult to maintain that consistency and if you don't have assessments that are being if, rather, if you don't have candidates who are who have consistent experiences taking an assessment, then how confident can you be when you compare their results that 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 it's actually fair I'll, I'll give one example um, and this was around the use of mobile assessment Now over time, we've seen that certain demographic groups are more likely to use a mobile device for applying for a job or taking an assessment. In the US, for instance, African Americans were, and I think still are, more likely to use mobile devices than uh, other groups in in the population. So if you've got an assessment that gives you a uh, let's say a, a worse score on a mobile device than it would if you were taking the same assessment on a PC screen, then you end up systematically provide, giving lower scores to a, a certain group, which is a which is a terrible thing to do. So that's why as, as measurement specialists, we're, yes, we are very conservative um, because we want to make sure that these assessments are being applied consistently and I've always said that assessment is probably 10 years behind the use of um, uh, multimedia or interactivity compared to say the world of learning and development, because learning and development is generally far lower stakes than assessment for, for selection. And that's one thing that's, that's certainly held it back. I think maybe the field does have a natural uh, conservative with a small C element to it as well. Um, that we like what's tried and trusted and we know things like assessment centers have been around since what the second world war and we still use them they're still very reliable um, and we often run them without without much technology either so there's a there is an inherent conservatism in the in the field perhaps but there's a good reason for that and that is partly to protect the consistency of the assessment to make sure that we're being fair to all of the candidates now the downside of that is that we can be slow to take advantage of of newer technologies or when newer technologies come along that we greet them with skepticism like with gains-based assessment or or um, uh, uh, adaptive assessments uh, or anything that doesn't look like assessments that have gone before and that can right. be that can be problematic because we're judging it with our with our professional psychologist hats on what we Sometimes fail to realise is that often we're not the ones buying the assessments. Um, it's people who are outside of the field, maybe in HR, in recruitment, or learning and development, who are buying it, and they don't come with the with the knowledge about assessments or the baggage uh, that we as as professional psychologists do. It it's,
0: um, it strikes me, Ben, that there's a lot of nuance in what. We were just talking through in terms of, uh, you know, assessment works well, but here's the things that we worry about. Here's the inherent kind of conservatism uh, and uh, kind of stick with tried and true uh, proven techniques, both of the science, but probably also in the practice and in the HR user base. Mm -hmm. Um, If it feels like, so let's kind of uh, pilot back up. If we're talking to uh, a VC firms or PEs or or some int- institutional bank who's going to spend a bunch of money in the assessment industry. Um, and we can tell them that the delivery part of it is when we've got something really cool to sell, right, which is prediction. So that's the basis of what talent assessment is. It's a, it's a prediction of the future. So you're selling this predictable prediction that comes from science. Very cool. We've largely, you know, maybe 12 years late, but we've largely kind of scaled the delivery at this point. So we've got unproctored, unsupervised assessment, happen anywhere. We've now got, you know, starting to see mobile first uh, assessment products and redesigns being launched so that that's uh, full and fair uh, access for everybody. But a lot of what you described, and if I, what I'd be worried about as an institutional investor considering you know spending some money in assessment is it feels like we make it hard for client users to know what to do and and we we have so many uh, it depends and additional considerations uh, in the process that it, it just feels like we put up a lot of blockers and and I wonder if the scaling challenges that you'd be worried about as an investor getting ready to pile, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars into this space, are less about the delivery of the product, you know, the, the consumer angle or the applicant and employee angle, and more about the the program angle. You know, how do how do companies get set up to use this in the first place um, in a way that's consistent with the science and, and, and the design kind of requirements, uh, and, and still gets all the benefits of that fairness and prediction. It feels to me like that is a huge, uh, let's call it an opportunity. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, you know, I, have been on the, on the consulting, the vendor side of things, uh, um, in my career for more than I've been in the in-house roles. Um, and I know that there are there are client companies the purchasers of these assessments where they 've got entire teams of iO psychologists they 've got psychometricians they have data scientists they 've got it they 've got legal recruitment marketing all of those people involved to help them make the right decisions about how they use assessments. Many other companies don't have those level of resources. And what I see is that the assessment startups um, that are able to offer that expert input and guidance to those companies tend to be very well received. If they can talk in the normal language of HR or recruitment or whoever's buying the, the assessments, if I was investing in an assessment company, I'd want to see that they're able to talk to those different audiences, that they can talk to the experts within the multinationals, the teams of psychometricians, but they're also able to talk to the small to medium-sized companies who could end up being a substantial part of their market who don't have all of that, that resource in-house. And I've seen, uh, assessment vendors do very well with um, the very capable organizations who have the resources but when it comes to small organizations to really suffer because you have to explain all these things that are that are necessary and um, one of the things that that i've done is talk talking to smaller um, companies who maybe don't have the the IO psychologist, the psychometrician or assessment expertise in house to help them evaluate, well, this company, this assessment vendor who's come to me offering this this assessment, how do I judge it? Where do I even start? And sometimes we as a field, don't help ourselves because it does sound like it's just an arbitrary list of hoops that people have to jump through. So there's there's things that small organisations or large organisations as well can do to evaluate the quality of a, of an assessment, but also evaluate the quality of a company that is offering that that, that assessment. And Similarly, investors can use that to understand whether uh, this startup that's approaching them for uh, series A funding for uh, this new assessment, do they really have a leg to stand on? Is this something that's going to be value evaluated by the by the market and seem to be a a potential product or is it just as we've often seen a, another assessment technology that will um be around for a few months or a couple of years and then uh, and then disappear I've seen, I've seen a lot of um startups over the last 20 years offering some really quite innovative approaches but they never got the market traction because they didn't think about well what is it that these clients need beyond just having a a nice looking assessment that's also fair and valid yes there's there's, uh, many other considerations as well
0: yeah it's in our in our space with assessment does it work means a whole lot of things It, it doesn't just mean is there an application that you can see on your phone or, or on a computer that looks like you would expect it to see? Ultimately, does it work? Because of what we're selling is the fundamental value prop is prediction. Does it work means does it predict? And that yep. is kind of hard to evaluate by looking at an app, right? You, you need to get into the, what's the research evidence? And how does this match up against, you know, what other people have found? Uh, is this you know, completely new kind of neuroscience garbage, or is this (laughs) something real that uh, that people have actually studied and seen results from? So I think that's the challenge we have. Well, let's, so I think there is a big gap around the supporting clients getting more access to assessments and you're right, some folks are filling that gap by just making it dead simple, but then what's the trade-off and do you lose effectiveness? and if you, you know, the simplest way to, to use assessment is just to use the same assessment for everybody. And, and that's probably not a great solution either. So I think there's something in there, but maybe let's move on and talk about some of the other tech. So there's all kinds of um, emerging tech, you know, something like virtual reality. It's obviously been here for 20 years, but it's still not really here. Um, you've got augmented reality that's not really here at all, but sud- could suddenly become huge if Apple jumps into the, the, the glasses game and, and things like that. Uh, obviously, we've talked a bit about multimedia and how we use that to enrich the experience, but then you've got you know changes in the data world and moves towards blockchain and self-sovereign identity. Um, obviously, artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language processing, all of that stuff plays in. So what are the ones that you know, I was going to say readers, Uh, listeners should kind of keep an eye on where do you think, which of these is really going to move the needle most in terms of both, you know, some of the either user acceptance challenges or effectiveness and efficiency uh, and experience challenges that we've talked about?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You you mentioned virtual reality and augmented reality first. Um, I think you and I have both been both been alive burned. long enough to see <laughs> to see multiple waves of VR. I think in the in the 80s and then the 90s and and recently as well that it's it's the next big thing. And I love VR. I absolutely do. I've got various VR headsets. I can see one from where I'm sitting right now. In fact, I've um, seen you wear them on stage. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I'm no no stranger to. Absolutely love it. But for um, assessment for uh, selection, it's really difficult to use it because not every, well, very few people have a, a VR headset they can slip on if you want to do some remote assessment. Um, it might be useful for candidate attraction, it's great for learning and development and simulation. I just don't. I haven't seen the killer app yet for VR within uh, within selection. It is cool, um, and I know when I've uh, when I've um, been on the vendor side of things when we were selling uh, assessments, whether it might be uh, regular or more simulated assessments. Then having a VR demo or virtual world demo certainly got people to the booth. But as a as an assessment tool, it it'll have a They'll have a niche application, no doubt. Um, but I just don't see it happening yet. Um, yeah, I hate to say a, it because I love the technology.
0: It's high touch, right? So maybe if yeah, it does yeah. have a place, it fits in where we're already doing high touch stuff. So something like an assessment center could be really, really cool and much richer if it was in a virtual reality uh, type environment. But, you know, that's that's not a, a, a large uh, use case, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. high touch, high costs.
1: Um, but if we, I mean, if, we uh, if we look at um, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, natural language processing, and let's just bundle it up and say AI for now. Yeah, that's got potentially huge uh, applications for assessment in how we in how we assess. Um, so, for example, it is possible uh, to auto score video interviews based on the analysis of the words people use, their visual, their facial expressions, even the, the tone of their of their voice. There's academic data out there that says absolutely, you can assess people's personality to an extent, and I, that's very important, to an extent, based on um, this automated scoring of, of video evidence. But just because you can use it to an extent, that doesn't automatically mean that, yes, this is a good contender for job selection. There's multiple issues with it. I'm not saying they're insurmountable, but clearly there are cultural differences in facial expressions. Uh, We know that um, uh, historically, at least, speech recognition has been trained with um, male voices more than female. So it recognizes male spoken text better than female spoken text and this is a this is a massive generalization but that has historically been the been the case um, even different skin tones might be recognized differently so although it's an exciting technology if you want to use it and make sure you're being fair to the candidates and ultimately and also to make sure you're not going to um, be subject to Um, some legal challenges, you need to be absolutely sure that that works in the manner that you you intend. Um, That's one application of of AI. Uh, Another one would be the analysis of, say, open-ended responses for a situational judgment test. So you have a question or maybe a video snippet that describes a situation, and you ask the candidate to type in their response. Uh, And instead of having uh, an assessor review and score that response with what we would typically use, which would be a behaviorally anchored rating scale with basically a a checkbox uh, approach to um, say, I saw this behavior in this response, I didn't see this behavior, etc. Instead of that, you can train a machine based on... um, real assessors' scoring of the responses you can train the machine to carry out that as well and again there's there 's good evidence that that can work, but then again you may well be uh, introducing uh, unforeseen bias in there and and problems i 'm not yeah. saying that's not, that 's not not going to be useful at all because I think it it genuinely will where we where we do see AI um, being used is in the lower stakes aspect of our field. And that would be things like taking a job description and using that to to automatically identify what are the, uh, the areas of knowledge, skills, abilities, and so on that are required to do this job. Now, in a small organization, you might be able to just do that in an afternoon by yourself. But if you've got a large organization, tens of thousands of people, with job titles and job descriptions that are pretty much grown organically, then trying to categorize jobs is a unwieldy exercise. And that's where AI can help. Um, So I think we'll start to see a lot of applications for AI in that low stake piece and um, that is helping the work of the uh, psychologist or of HR and we will and we certainly are seeing it being used in in assessment but again our natural conservatism within assessment is going to uh, is going to hold us back uh, a little on that what I am confident is it's not the be all and end-all it's not some massive panacea that's going to eradicate uh, bias or potential discrimination within within assessment. AI does have a lot of benefits, but it does bring with it some potential challenges and pitfalls that we as a field are still getting to grips with. And I don't think we should be kidding ourselves that we don't have a a full handle on on the effectiveness, the application, and perhaps some of the risks of of AI. Um, You mentioned about blockchain as well. Blockchain is an interesting one because that was massively hyped uh, over the last few years. Um, and now that we're into the, what do they call it, trough of disillusionment maybe, uh, actually there are emerging some elements, some applications of blockchain that could be, that could be useful. Something that's been discussed a lot over the past few, well, 10, 15 years is the idea of, of candidates having this kind of portable passport or portfolio that digital they could. Digital wallet is the yeah, new exactly. word Yeah, exactly, yeah, digital wallet, yeah. So instead of having to type in your application yet again for another employer, you simply allow access for that employer to your digital wallet so they can see the skills that you've got, your experience, um, your abilities. And of course, those abilities might have been assessed by SHL, for instance, and then the, the score being recorded securely unalterable in that digital wallet so that future employers can see it. Um, Some social platforms uh, like LinkedIn, they've got things you can um, uh, recommend people for having uh, particular skills. You know, that's, that's useful, but prone to a lot of distortion and it's not necessarily accurate but if you could produce a digital wallet which would be like um, a LinkedIn profile that you couldn't alter or mess around with it would be a documentary evidence of your abilities that has uh, that has huge potential A, a lot of it for the candidates as well because it's a much better experience being able to easily identify Uh, much better experience easily to be able to apply for for a job and as we start to see uh, a more contingent workforce or the idea around a gig economy where people are taking more jobs for for short amounts of time then that mobility sounds really intriguing and the digital wallet per se isn't an isn't an assessment solution but it's something that assessment solutions can um, can connect with. So, I, off the top of my head, I don't know uh, companies that, that are really leading that. Um, but I think there's a there's a huge opportunity there to um, to enable that uh, to enable that digital wallet for job candidates.
0: Yeah, let me t- uh, and I could pile on there. I totally agree with the blockchain opportunity. There's some work that SHL is doing with the. Uh, um, a foundation called the Velocity Network Foundation, and they're they're working on you know building out this public utility uh, to support the Internet of Careers uh, mm-hmm. in a, in an open source way. So it's there is some really cool work happening on that, and I think I agree. Of the list of kind of emerging tech that we talked about, that one feels like the one that could potentially change the model. You know, change yeah. the paradigm. Yeah. Um, I agree with where you're at on the uh, obviously the AR VR stuff, but also the AI. I mean, facial generally seems bad right now and like fraught with peril. So any kind of facial action unit analysis, it just feels way too early and that the tech is way out ahead of the science on that one uh, and Hmm. the ethics. Um, So that one seems kind of like a clear, uh, you know, fail currently. you know, the the massaging of our predictive models and the use of machine learning and natural language processing to score unstructured data, all of that seems cool. um, But it's all kind of incremental, you know, it's still staying within our, our paradigm. uh, And it's really just looking for more efficient ways to process data and to replicate human Mm -hmm. judgment, again, not to minimize those that that would be huge. Uh, But it's not really fundamentally changing assessment. But I think that concept of being about the person, uh, yeah. and they're the ones in charge. Uh, you know, I just think about the whole model of biopsychology, all the way back to Gilbraith and uh, Frederick Taylor and stuff, has always been about management, supporting management, supporting you know the capitalists, uh, the mm-hmm. controllers of labor. Um, this move to blockchain seems like it shifts the paradigm. Back to the individual, back to the quote-unquote talent or the uh, the labor, and gives them you know more control again in you know in the economy, but certainly in in our part of that, which is the kind of assessment and measurement of talent. So yeah, I, I yeah. think I'm with
1: you on that. Yeah, and if we see that people are changing jobs more, uh, or as as employers, we have to hire more people because they don't stay as long. Then having technologies and infrastructure to make that as efficient as possible would be would be fantastic. I think if there was a, an offering out there a, a platform an infrastructure or, or ecosystem that was as compelling to applicants as it was to employers if you had a single point where both employers and candidates would end up um, so sharing jobs but also for candidates sharing their information um, integrating it with uh, with assessments, with job previews, with um, employment branding, uh, that hub would be, uh, I think, where, where I would put my billion dollars worth of investment that I just happen to have lying around. Um, it would require a monumental amount of infrastructure, and it would disrupt the market for applicant tracking systems, um, um, for assessments, and um, probably multiple other markets as well. But if you were able to offer that as a, as literally a one-stop shop for uh, candidates and and employers, that would be fantastic. The challenge, of course, is is building a platform that is compelling enough in its early days to attract enough candidates or enough employers to use it to be worthwhile. And we've, yeah, I think we've yet to see that. Um, but yeah. I'm still hopeful.
0: That multi-sided market challenge is—it just feels insurmountable sometimes. But mm. you're right, maybe if we were the, if we were the uh, Andres and Horowitz and could dump a, a, a billion or two into this and and really push it. Um, in the meantime, it it feels like I'll I won't put words in your mouth, Ben, but it feels like if we were advising investors, we'd 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 advise them to bet on the assessment index fund at the moment, like. <laughs> the assessment should continue to improve uh, as it always has incrementally adopting new technologies there might be some game changers but it it, they feel maybe a little bit farther over the horizon still Um, and but we know science works and we know the tech is going to continue to scale it and we know there's an appetite from employers to get these kinds of predictions and we know there's vendors out there so in general assessment should continue to grow and should continue to get better but it's really kind of keeping our eyes open for where is that unique fulcrum that's really going to move this thing into a different place and maybe it's with blockchain we'll see
1: yeah yeah i agree um there will always be multiple startups and multiple offerings out there from established companies that meet the needs of a Subset of, of employers, and that might be things like games-based assessment. Some employers love it a lot; don't really go for it. Um, and that'll be a healthy market. I don't ever think games-based assessment is going to be anything like the majority of assessments that we see. But it'll be a, you know, it'll be a healthy thing to to invest in. Uh, just like the use of artificial intelligence or, or or video interviewing, there's absolutely a healthy market there. But is it going to be something that that completely inverts our current assessment paradigms? No. Um, these paradigms do work. And there's always incremental improvements to be made, um, but I wouldn't hold my breath for something that's going to completely reinvent uh, the world of assessment, not anytime soon anyway.
0: Well, maybe let's come back and talk about this again in a few months and see if the world has changed at all. Uh, it feels like the world changes week by week these days, so Um, (laughs) who knows? Uh, Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on Talent Talks and sharing your accumulated wisdom and insight about the market uh, and the technologies that we're all building and using here in Talent Assessment. It's been really fun. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the SHL Talent Talks podcast. To learn more about our work, helping organizations attract and select candidates
1: and identify and grow leaders, please visit shl.com.